You are Locked on Rays, your daily Tampa Bay Rays podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, my name is Kevin Weiss. I'm Ulysses Sembrano. Host of Locked On Rays, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, the number one local sports daily podcast network. You can find Locked On Rays on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Himalaya, and online at fanstreamsports.com and the Fanstream Sports app. And when you get in your car, tell your smart device to play Locked On Rays. Also, be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Locked On Rays. Well, Ulysses, exactly a week ago was the MLB draft, and we figured um, to kind of put a positive spin on MLB and baseball right now, we'll we'll kind of distract ourselves from Rob Manfred and all the craziness that's going on and do a fun little recap, draft recap that is from last week with our good buddy Taylor Ward, who is just killing the MLB draft coverage for the Locked On Podcast Network, and uh, we pre-recorded this interview and got into the nuts and bolts of the Rays draft and the MLB draft as a whole. And I got to tell you, he killed it once again, I think. Yeah, it's really nice to talk to, to Taylor and get him on the show. Uh, there's a wealth of knowledge there. So it's really nice to tap in mm-hmm. into his mind. Um, you know, and also, Kevin, like you say, it's kind of nice to get away from the... Uh, What's happening? Yes. I'd rather, honestly, I'd rather be talking about Nick Bitsko in the merits of the Rays drafting him rather than the arguments between players and owners. Again, I still love the pick. I still love the Bitsko pick. (laughs) I know just 33 high school innings. I know it's an issue, but I'd almost rather have a clean blank slate of a 17-year-old who hasn't, um, you know, thrown 200 innings in high school and 200 innings in college and has already blown out his arm. Um, he, he clearly showed the Rays enough to, to be able to draft him. And, uh, well, I'll come back in four or five, six years and, and we'll see how this pick turns out. Uh, without further ado, here's Taylor Ward. Okay. Ulysses, we are joined again by Taylor Ward, host of locked on angels and MLB draft expert for the locked on podcast network. It's been a week since the MLB draft kicked off and exactly a week since we last talked to Taylor. Uh, Taylor, are you kind of like, are you you Mel Kuyper right now? Are you already looking at the 2021 draft or are you kind of bored with 2020 yet? Are you still kind of digging into it a little bit? So I promised my wife that I would take the weekend and hang out with her. And uh, then Sunday rolled around and all the undrafted free agents came rolling in and I'm like, ah, still got to hang out with my wife. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm ready for 2021. I got a, a short list of names, about a eh, hundred names long or so. Um, but, you know, still focusing in on the 2020 draft just a little bit. Okay. Well, well let's, uh, let's see if we can make this race centric uh, for the first question. You know, the race surprised a lot of people with that pick in Nick Bitsko. Um, what do you see from this high risk, high reward system that the, that the race opted for? Uh, it's very raise esque if that can be a term. Um, you know, they, they took the high risk, and that's the thing that they do, and they they have the organization to do it. I mean, you look at their farm system; it is stacked beyond compare. I mean, they're one of the 
regularly one of the top five farm systems in baseball. And Nick Bitsko only adds to that. Yeah, there's risk because he's a high school arm, but he throws strikes. He's athletic. He has great spin rates. He, uh, you know, all these pitches he can throw around the zone, even if he's not in the zone or dead set with command with, uh, you know, advanced. But I mean, this is a premier arm. And I think that uh, there's, there's a feeling of comfort knowing that you got that kind of talent and that you're giving him, you're giving him to one of the better developmental staffs in baseball. You know, I, I've said that on a lot of the shows I've been on the last week, I've, I've said the Oakland A's, the St. Louis Cardinals, but the Tampa Bay Rays are right there along with them. And, you know, Tampa's developmental system with a guy like this, who has everything that's kind of moving in the right direction with the athleticism, with the ability to locate, uh, with the advanced data along with it, this is a big get for the Rays. Does it worry you that he didn't pitch at all as an upperclassman? No, no, it actually is an upside for me. Uh, I think it's great upside. There. Yeah, you know, I, I got to say, because Ulysses and I have been having this conversation, um, I look at Bitsko, I look at like a clean slate type of a deal, a guy who hasn't thrown 200 innings in high school and 200 innings in college and <laughs> and thrown around in the showcase games and everything like that. For Like he's he's got it seems like his arm seems to be in good shape as of right now. So um, I, I'm definitely on board with the pick and we'll, we'll see in four five, six years here. Um, Taylor kind of looking at the raised draft as a whole with their six picks, of course they had Bitsco. They had a mix of some uh, quirky college arms and, and some middle infielders as well. Uh, how, how do you think they did overall on the whole? Um, I think it's top heavy. I think Nick Bitsko was a huge get. I think that's where you're really relying on, uh, most of your draft to kind of stem from, from a talent perspective, uh, the shortstop out of Arizona state, Alika Williams, I think he is a true shortstop and you don't see a lot of guys like that. You don't see a lot of true shortstops anymore. that can become everyday shortstops. Um, I'm not so sure about the power profile. I don't think he's going to hit for a lot of power, but you know, if he can play a decent shortstop for you over a couple of years, hit for a high contact mark and he comes from a very good program there at Arizona state. Then suddenly you have another talent. And like I said, you know, the, the raised development staff, you can't ignore it. So I think that I really like Alika Williams uh, looking at the other four names. I think you have a little bit of upside to it. There's some interesting names there, like uh, Hunter Barnhart out of Northern California and Tanner Murray here in California. And I, I know I'm specifying on the West coast kids here, but they're the ones I've seen. And, I think that's kind of where you see a little bit of upside, a little bit of um, interest for me. I think uh, Tanner Murray's a little bit on the older age. I know that he'll be uh, 21 in September, 21 September, and I'd say older age just because of the program that he's at. Um, but still, you know, I mean, the Rays know what they're doing, and uh, even without Hein Bloom and even without. Um, Scott Friedman, you know, it's like the, the system continues to develop in-house with the front office and they continue to develop a very, very good amateur talents as well. Yeah, well, we've hit on on the 2020 draft, the middle infielders and the pitchers, and that's kind of what the race farm system has a glut of, really, to be honest, the, pit, the pitching in the middle, middle infield. So do you foresee any pieces you know, being moved to reinforce in other areas. And if you don't, do you think that there is a weakness, a, a glaring weakness in this uh, farm system, which is ranked the number one in all of baseball? 
You know, I I don't get to see the A's farm or A's huh, the Rays farm system very often. Uh, being out here on the West Coast because they don't have any affiliates out this way, and they're in Florida and, instead of Arizona for spring training. So I don't get to see them a lot. So. I mean, I, I know the top-heavy part of the race farm system and, and what everyone tells me about the race farm system, uh, but it definitely sounds like middle infielders and pitchers are what they have a, a very strong, um, you know, they have a lot of depth uh, at those, at those uh, areas. And I don't know about their outfield uh, or prospects. I don't know about that. But you don't draft for – system need always i think that uh, you can at times especially if there's a very obvious glaring hole and it could help uh in the near future with your major league club but i think the rays just continue to go after the best player available uh when it comes to their board and, and trust their draft model um and sometimes that does lean heavy to middle infield players uh middle you know um short stops and in pri- primary primary primarily man it's been a morning. <laughs> oh, you're good. Hey, you, it's, it's been a week. You, you've been busy working overtime with all the MLB draft coverage. We don't blame you at all. And, and that uh, Freudian slip of A's and Rays, they're very similar in terms of payroll and stadium issues. So I don't blame that. On, I don't blame that on you either. Um, okay. So looking at the MLB draft as a whole, uh, if you had to guess, and I know it's super, super early. If you had to guess which player will emerge when it's all said and done from this draft, which player will be the best, have the highest career award, just be the most successful draft pick? Do you have an idea or who do you think that will be? Is it Spencer Torkelson uh, who Detroit took? Is it somebody else? Is there, there a guy or two that you have in mind with that? Ooh, that's a really good question. Um, first name that comes to mind is Austin Martin. And uh, you can move him around. I think the bat's going to play wherever you play him. You can move him. And I think the versatility – the ability to play multiple uh, positions and, and play maybe 162 games with that bat and have that upside. I think that may be where you're going to see the war leader of this class. And this is a very early guess, but the other guy, and, and this is maybe a dark horse here is Tyler Soderstrom, uh, who the Oakland A's did take in the first round. Excuse me. Sorry. I think that, um, you know, if he can stay a catcher and depending on how we view catching metrics in the future with robo umps, if he can hit to his capabilities and stay behind the plate, I don't know how, you know, analytically we're going to move with the catching position because we're not going to have framing necessarily as a, or not necessarily as important as it would be, but if he can stay behind the plate and be the offensive profile that he has, then suddenly you have a catcher who is, a very, very good hitter. Uh, and that may be a difference maker for me. Mm-hmm. And Taylor, looking at the draft again, as a whole, uh, out of the 160 picks, was there a guy or, or a team that made a selection? You're like, wow, that was a surprising or a head scratching pick there, whether it was rounds one through five, was there a name out there that was like, wow, that, that guy was taken too high or, or something along those lines. Cole Wilcox in the third round by the San Diego Padres. And the only reason is because Cole Wilcox was very likely going to be a first rounder. And after we got through that first day through the first conversation round, it did sound like he was headed back to Georgia uh, because he was a sophomore eligible arm this year. I think if the Padres can find the money and move it around to where they can sign him out of the third round, the rich get richer. I mean, I was blown away. And we saw this last uh, year before, too, with the Mets, with Matt Allen, and they've really made it work. 
but that was with 40 rounds. That was with, you know, you could take seniors from rounds four through 10. This was very intriguing to me um, seeing the Padres do this. And if they can pull it off, that's a big, big get in the third round. Mm. And, and looking at from a team perspective, team wide perspective, two part question, which team do you think had the best draft and which team do you think had the worst draft? You know, being only five rounds, the more I looked at it, I didn't really see a team that had like a a quote unquote bad draft on paper. I think my least favorite draft surprisingly was the Baltimore Orioles. Um, I was very surprised that the Baltimore Orioles, the way that they went about with their uh, second or their compensation and second round pick and the way that they kind of construed that. Obviously, they did take prep players in the later part of the draft, but I think that's kind of where maybe just not the way I would have done it. So I can lean on that. As for favorite draft, probably the Detroit Tigers. And it's easy to say when you have the top pick at every round, but I think what they did to capitalize on each pick was really ingenious, uh, especially for an organization that has a It's very pitcher heavy. They brought in a lot of premier bats into the organization. We'll continue with part two of our interview with Taylor Ward. But first, if you're like me, you probably start thinking about what to eat for dinner while you're eating lunch. I love food, and that's why I love using Postmates. But I kind of love them even more right about now because I can get food delivered without leaving the house or even opening the door. Given what's going on in the world, they created non-contact deliveries. So now when I order from local restaurants, everything gets left right outside my door. They also have Postmates Pickup, which I've been using to order takeout from my favorite local restaurants. Listen up. You guys need to be supporting your neighborhood spots right now. I've only been ordering local because it's a great way to support my community. And remember, Postmates doesn't just deliver burgers and sushi and pizza and the like. They actually make my life easier by picking up everything I need from Walgreens and 7-Eleven and dropping it off right outside my door. Just download Postmates on iOS or Android, find your favorites, and get anything you want delivered within the hour. For a limited time, Postmates is giving our listeners $100 of free delivery credit for your first seven days. To start your free deliveries, download the app and use code LOCKEDON. That's code LOCKEDON for $100 of free delivery credit for your first seven days when you download the Postmates app. Anything you need, anytime you need it, Postmates. So Taylor, are there any names that you were surprised were not taken? Uh, I know a, a big example could be uh, Tommy Mace, who's now going back to, to the swamp at UF. Uh, don't hear my, you know, my aggressiveness when I hear when I say the, the swamp at UF. But uh, <laughs> so two-parter, are there any names that you think you were surprised not taken? And number two, where could Tommy Mace be in the 2021 draft? Um, the second part of that question, I'm not totally certain about yet. Uh, let's wait it out and see how, uh, I think, you know, until we get into June of 2021, I'm not going to have a hard set answer for you there, Ulysses, but yeah, that was the big surprise of the draft for me. It was Tommy Mace. And, uh, we talked about it last week. We're talking about it now. This was a big surprise, but it sounded like he alerted teams very early that he wanted a big signing bonus to take him away from Florida uh, next year. And, and it worked out for him. I mean, it worked out for Florida plenty well down. Uh, the Gators are getting one of their premier arms. 
Um, there was a few high school kids that were interesting. I think more for me were some of the high school kids I thought were going to college that um, ended up being taken, especially Drew Romo there in the compensation round by the Rockies. I was surprised by that. I love Drew Romo, but I, I swore he was going to college. Um, <laughs> Carson Montgomery was a big surprise. Uh, and, and, you know, you talk about high schoolers and it's less surprising, but I think – when you look at this as a whole, Tommy Mace was definitely the biggest surprise of guys that weren't taken. But now that we understand he wanted to return to Florida, uh, it does make sense. Just a big surprise. Gotcha. And now, obviously, the 2020 draft, uh, we, we know, was a, a, an outlier and, and, and different in many ways. But in your perfect world, uh, Taylor, if you could kind of make your own perfect world, how does MLB <laughs> Uh, make the draft not only fun, but digestible and interesting for fans. How, how do you picture that world and, and how does that MLB draft in, in, in that dream of yours uh, look like? Uh, it would be a dream without Rob Manfred in it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's a starting point. Um, heck, have Matt, versus, have Matt Vaskersen act as commissioner. That was great. That was a big <laughs> get for me. Um, but yeah, you air it on major networks, um, promote the hell out of it. You know, I think your first priority, sadly, is you got to get people back to baseball and people are leaving baseball in a rush right now, understandably so. And that is on Manfred and the owners, of course. Uh, so you have to get people back to baseball first, and then you have to promote minor league baseball, which is another Manfred problem when they're eliminating 40 some minor league teams here. So, you know, you get into all these things and it kind of all falls back to one subject is uh, let's have uh, you know, this is going to be an unpopular opinion here, but um, Dave Dombrowski, future commissioner of baseball. I'm all for it. Anybody, but Manfred, I say that's, that's what I go with. Yeah. Um, I mean, you got Dombrowski, you got, um, Brody up in New York, I think would be a good one. The Mets general manager, I think it'd be great to be next commissioner of baseball, but the current one, God, you know, I think we need a uh, Bud Selig to step in for interim for like a year. How about that? Uh, okay. Taylor. Okay. Taylor. Um, so of course the, the MLB draft just being only five rounds and now, uh, undrafted free agents were allowed to sign on Sunday morning uh, with a max slot of $20,000 a piece. You know, I I've looked at, I think it was baseball America that has kind of a rundown of everything. And, and you've got teams like the Red Sox that have already signed 12, the Royals signed a bunch. There, there's a lot of teams that have signed quite a few while other teams, including the Rays haven't signed one undrafted free agent yet. Do you have any insight why some teams are just signing a bunch of guys and other teams are kind of holding fort as of right now? I don't. Um, for some teams, I believe it's a little bit of an ownership move, not really wanting to spend money on amateur talent. And, uh, you know, the team that I cover, I think uh, when you look at Locked On Angels, I think that may be one of those teams. And that's not necessarily a front office move because I think the front offices know exactly the kind of talent they want to bring in. And uh, especially from these undrafted players and, and at that cost of $20,000, which is substantially low to bring in talent. I think that's a surprise, but yeah, I can't imagine the race being that team. I think that ownership obviously maybe is a little bit strapped compared to the rest of the league, but at the same time, you know, they still have millions upon millions of dollars to spend. So I'm surprised the Rays haven't uh, signed anyone just yet. 
Um, I think it's the Angels and Tigers are the other two teams uh, that have yet to do so. And when it comes to the Tigers, I just don't know. I just don't know. I don't have an answer. I think uh, you're going to see some teams sign less undrafted free agents, though, due to uh, ownership decisions trying to save a little bit of money. Interesting. Um, Taylor, a lot has happened in the last week. Again, I want to ask you, uh, everything that's come out that, that Rob Manfred, he's got diary of the mouth right now. Um, do you think, do you, how confident, what's your confidence level on there being an MLB uh, season this season in 2020? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm definitely on the side that says, I don't think we're having a season, but the more we get into this, I think that we're going to have an enforced season of 48, 50 games, uh, which is not a season I'm for. Um, So I think from last week to this week, I'm slightly more optimistic that there will be a season, but I'm still leaning to the point of not having a season at all. Um, Jumping in real quick with that. um, You said you're not really down for a 48, 50 game season, which I, I, I I definitely know where you're coming from. If you had a, a choice uh, between a 48-game or 50-game season and perhaps something completely different, like like a NCAA tournament-style uh, bracket or round-robin and then a, a, something accumulating points, whatever it is that, that, that you can come up with, would that interest you more than a 48-game season or would you then just take the, the mandated season? I would take uh, like a triple elimination bracket, mm-hmm. like in a way of the NCAA bracket, but like a triple elimination force uh, do like a one, a one and 30 based on last year's records and do, I mean, you have to construe it the right way, but I think a triple elimination bracket would be like the most fun I would have with this because that would still give, well, triple elimination is hard because you're, you know, you're only giving certain teams three games, but I don't know. I mean, you're not going to have fans in the seats anyway, so may as well just kind of do a weird process, make it a huge TV deal, mm-hmm. um, you know, put it on Turner, uh, Turner broadcast because they just paid a billion dollars to air baseball. Um, yeah. But there's, so no, there's no money. There's no money, uh, Taylor. Yeah, no, of course not. No, no owners are making any money right now. Um, throw it on Turner Sports, make it a triple elimination, and, uh, you know, winner take all, and um, have a little bit of fun. Give them a little trophy. Do not call it a World Series trophy. Call it a uh, base champion of baseball 2020 trophy <laughs> and just not have a quote-unquote World Series this year. Not have, I mean, have it as a best of seven series to close it out, obviously, when you get right. into the final four or whatever it is. But yeah, I, um, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm spewing shit the same as Rob Manfred is, so nothing new there. But it's, uh, I have no idea. I think that you just have to really push whatever it is. And a 48 to 50 game season is essentially the same as just throwing a bracket out and playing that way to me, okay. at least. Okay, like Taylor. It. Well, with a with a bracket, would the Astros be allowed in, or do they not get to participate? Would that be their, their additional punishment here? Uh, a trash can free facility. <laughs> I love it. Which I is not it. a good place to be during COVID, I guess. 
would I Red Sox so. uh, players be allowed, uh, you know, Apple Watches and Yankees get a dugout phone? What's the deal here? <laughs> Man, we're cutting into it. Uh, yeah. Let's see. So the Red Sox, uh, the, the Red Sox just don't get Mookie bets. I think that's a, <laughs> that's a punishment in itself. Um, and then the Yankees, oh God, man. Um, Yankees can't play in the Bronx. There you go. There we yeah. go. Love it. All right. Well, Taylor, thank you so much again. Great insight. Great talk. Where can people find your work? Yeah. And, and thanks to you guys, um, for the listening audience, I had a little bit of a, not a medical emergency, but just, uh, I had to leave and we had to record this in two parts. So thanks for, thanks Kevin and Ulysses for bearing with me during all that. Um, yeah, you, if you guys want to check us out, we're at lockdownangels.com and you can follow me on Twitter at Taylor Blake Ward and always a pleasure chatting with you guys. All right. That wraps up this edition of Locked On Rays. Now tell your smart device to play the most recent episode of Locked On Fantasy Baseball. Hope you all have a wonderful day and we'll talk to you on Friday.